Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer's Sermon Podcast. The readings appointed for this sermon are from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 50, verse 4 through 9a, the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 5 through 11, the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 27, verse 11 through 54, and Psalm 31, verse 9 through 16. In the name of our God who creates us, who reconciles us, and who sustains us. Amen. Good morning. morning. Two weeks ago, I returned home. God bless it. I returned home from the adventure of a lifetime. Along with 125 other hardy souls, we explored the continent of Antarctica sailing on the National Geographic ship called the Resolution. We saw beautiful icebergs glaciers and their mountains. We also encountered incredible wildlife, and it's based on this amazing food chain. That part of the world, the waters there in the southern hemisphere are nutrient-rich, and those nutrient-rich waters sustain a plentiful population of phytoplankton, and that's fed in return upon abundant krill, and the krill in turn feed seals and whales of all kinds. And of course, there were thousands and thousands of penguins (laughs) and other birds and more birds, including the amazing wandering albatross. Samuel Taylor Coleridge portrays another kind of voyage ocean voyage in his epic poem, High School Reading, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. He describes the albatross in the poem as the bird that made the breeze to blow. Indeed, the wandering albatross has the longest wingspan of any bird. Twelve feet tip to tip and this is six feet, 12 feet. And it glides effortlessly through the sky, gliding through it on 20-day fishing trips. And it can go 6,000 miles. And they mate for life, which incidentally can be 70 years or more. They are a very long-lived bird. Now, after wandering for a couple of years independently, the adult pairs returned to the exact same location in the exact same nest. And after getting reacquainted, they raised just one chick, an interesting survival strategy. Now, watching them soaring at sea and feeding their young just five feet away from me, was spellbinding, even spiritual, a religious experience. In fact, sailors think they bring good luck. And as folklore has it, the albatross harbors the souls of dead mariners. Now, in the the poem, their ship 
unfortunately, is blown off course southwards into the dangerous and icy waters of the Antarctic. And they weren't on an icebreaker like we were. They got stuck in the ice. But alas, a providential albatross miraculously appears and leads them out of trouble into safety. Okay, so then that ancient mariner deliberately shoots and kills the albatross. Well, the upset crew now makes him wear the dead albatross around his neck. And so this old sailor now laments, instead of the cross, instead of the cross, the albatross about my neck was hung. So are you wondering, like I, why did he kill the albatross, the beloved albatross, the albatross which saved them for just being there, for just being? Why, why did he do it? So if I were to pick a bird to symbolize Jesus' life, it would be this albatross. So when Jesus was baptized, God declares, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, in whom I am well pleased. God expresses an enduring love as a parent does for their child, just like Mary and Joseph. Cherished for just being who Jesus was. Then Jesus wanders the desert for 40 days fasting, and he is tempted big time. I mean, this was the mother of all Lenten experiences. <laughs> Through it all, Jesus comes to fully appreciate his belovedness, and not as a gift to be shared. No, not as a possession or something to own, but as a gift to be shared as a gift to be shared with others. Then Jesus wanders the sandy oceans of the Holy Land for three years. Jesus heals and teaches and preaches the good news of shared love, sharing his belovedness. And at one time, a teacher of the law was so inspired by Jesus that he said to him, if you remember, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Well, Jesus warned him what it would be like, saying, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus had no place to call home, no real place to call home. He may have been born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth, but he wandered far and wide like that albatross. And the one time he did return to Nazareth, you remember, <laughs> they tried to throw him off a cliff, and he just flew away. And indeed, Jerusalem was his real destination all along. He may not even have known it. The temple is there, after all. Jesus was drawn there like an albatross to its nest. Remember he said this, 
Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Jesus is coming home. Jesus is coming home to claim it and to own it. Indeed, on this Palm Sunday, Jesus enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And remember, until now, he has walked everywhere that he went. Jesus is making a statement, and the cheering crowds know it very well. They place palm fronds and clothing in his path to recognize, respect, and to honor and to praise him and to praise their sovereign. Jesus arrives in glory, triumphantly entering Jerusalem. Jesus is flying high, you might say, coming out in full public view of everyone, including his enemies. Like the albatross, after a long time away, coming home to Jerusalem for Passover, not to be passed over, but to be Passover, being recognized and making a statement by dramatically entering Jerusalem on a donkey, Jesus humbly offers himself up as our Messiah, beloved by the people for just being who he is. Now the joyful people proclaim, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is coming home. He's coming home to take care of the business of salvation. Now, sometimes the economy of God is very subtle and sweet. Other times, it is very direct and can be confrontational. Jesus now really gets in the face of the religious establishment who have long been plotting and wanting to arrest him. And most recently, they wanted to arrest him for giving life to Lazarus, of all things, to giving life to Lazarus. And then they also, by the way, as an aside, they're wanting to arrest Lazarus, Lazarus for receiving life. Can you believe it? Go figure. Jesus now upends the tables of the money changers and those selling animals for sacrifice. Jesus cleanses the temple of corruption and Jesus proclaims that he is the only sacrifice that we need. Jesus is all about love, grace, mercy, and, yes, justice. The kind of justice described in the Torah and by the Old Testament prophets. Four weeks ago today, the right reverend Frank Tracy Griswold III died. God bless him. He was the 25th presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church. At one time, I had the privilege and honor to chauffeur him around Cincinnati when he was visiting here, our diocese, on church business. He even gave me a pin I still have. He was a bridge builder and a pioneer, unique, 
For example, he consecrated the first openly gay bishop. Also, when he was bishop in Chicago, he ordained many women as priests at a time when there weren't that many women priests. He also formed a communion with the Lutheran Church. Another one of his very many accomplishments is writing this book titled Going Home, Coming to Jubilee. It's 91 pages. It's, it's actually a book which is a collection of meditations and very thought-provoking meditations, that is, on the theme of Jubilee, which is described in Leviticus, which I'll read to you. You shall proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. You shall return, every one of you, to your property and every one of you to your family. Jubilee is a call to return home, to come home, like Jesus does. In his book, Griswold wrote, the year of the Lord's favor is a season of unfoldment in which God's blessing, compassion, and justice are unleashed, not from some remote heaven, but from within the human heart, from within our hearts. As we find ourselves stretched and cracked open by God's own joy and desire for our full flourishing. And this flourishing includes, he continues, not only us, but all others who are held captive by structures and systems and by patterns of thought and self-perception that work against God's intent and desire. Well, then he asks the obvious question, what is justice then? What is justice? Well, since we live in such a polarized society and so contentious, we should clarify what justice is not. It is not revenge. It is not retribution. It is not reprisal or recrimination. It's more about equity, fairness, reparation, righteousness. Now, since Jesus has flown away, we are now Jesus' agents, Jesus' agents of change. And as agents of change, you know, we have been very busy this Lent. For example, on Wednesday evenings, to recap, we explored what a just society looks like through the series Among All People, The Christian Call to Racial Justice in America. And then on Sundays, another series where we dove into the history of race and racism in Cincinnati through, the, through uh, repairing the breach in society and institutions. And by the way, today's last session is at 10 o'clock, and it's appropriately titled Passion. And at noon today, a group of us go on a bus tour led by the Intercommunity Justice and Peace Center to tour and visit locations in Cincinnati with a history of racism. And we'll be on that tour with folks from St. Andrew's Church. All of this attention and concern begs the question, what's next? What's next? On our website, our associate for mission, the Reverend Melanie Slane, 
elaborates on what homecoming, homecoming could look like. Through a collaborative effort, by the way, with community partners who we have worked with before. Going home, coming home. Just imagine the possibilities. Let your mind wander. As Melanie sublimely puts it, we are trying to make sure that everyone has a place to go home to. <laughs>